standing there by the way. He cried to Jesus for mercy that day. Jesus commanded and gave him his sight. So he followed Jesus, and I'm sure he Christ who 
was crucified and risen from the grave. We preach Christ, the only one who has the strength to save. The message we proclaim is the power of his name. We preach Christ. We are the voice that cries the truth today. And of this truth, we will never be ashamed. Check the claims of Christ. God's unchanging word will still remain. We have this moment, this hour, to seek and save the lost, to speak the name of Jesus and point them to the cross. We preach Christ, who was crucified and risen from we proclaim is the power of his name. We preach Christ. So we lift the name of Jesus for all the world to see. The message of salvation to all who crucified and risen from the grave. We preach Christ, the only one who has the strength to save. The message we proclaim is the power of his name. We preach Christ, who was crucified and risen from the grave. We preach Christ, the only one who has the strength to save. The message we proclaim is the power of his name. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. Christ. Take your Bible. You say, why in the world did you sing that last week and this week? Well, because our series this month is We Preach Christ. And that's what we've been doing, and we trust and pray that the Lord will continue to bless. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are so thrilled that you're here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, it's always wonderful to gather together and to hear the Word of God proclaimed in song and even in preaching and Boy, I say even, really, by the foolishness of preaching, he chooses to win them. And so we thank the Lord for preaching. We thank the Lord for the Word of God and for just uh, allowing us to be a part of it today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18. We're going to read through verse 25. 
There we read in the scriptures, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is, the, it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the, Gen uh, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ, crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul the Apostle says, but we preach Christ. Man, I like that. We preach Christ. He says, boy, to the Jew, the cross is a stumbling block. I mean, they wanted a sign. They wanted someone to show them the way, of course. They wanted some kind of highway marker that would point them in the right direction. But a cross? A cross, a cross where a man would die, a cross where the Messiah, the chosen one, the one who's supposed to deliver them out of the hand of those people there in Rome, I mean the oppressors of Rome, and yet he comes, a babe in a manger, and he grows up to take his place on a cross? The Jews said, no way. We didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't come into this thing thinking about a cross. We came looking for a king. And unfortunately, that cross became a stumbling block to them, and they would, know, they would never accept Jesus Christ as the Savior. To the Greeks, he says, or to the Gentiles, if you will, the cross is foolishness. They considered it utter ridiculousness. They, they said, this is ridiculous. A cross? A cross is the answer? That makes no sense at all. From a standpoint of rational thinking, from a standpoint of worldly thinking, to deliver a people... And yet you're going to go to a cross? That makes no sense. And so to the Jew, it became a stumbling block. They were seeking a king. To the Gentile or the Greek, they were saying, this is total foolishness because it doesn't add up. But Paul, nonetheless, as offensive as the cross may have been, as, as offensive as it may have been to both Jew and Greek even, Paul stands unapologetically and he proclaims, we preach Christ. And we preach Christ crucified. Man, Paul the Apostle took a stand. And so did those men and women that lived in the early church. We preach Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul understood that Christ was indeed the only answer to mankind's predicament, to mankind's problems. And over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, he says, For we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Man, you, if you're looking to us to solve the problem of, in the world, if you're looking to us to meet the need in your life, you're looking in the wrong place because only Christ can do that. And therefore, we preach Him. So we said, who is Christ then? Who is this Christ? And last week, we noted that Christ is both God and Creator. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created. 
But if you take your Bibles, and you need not do it now because of time, but we go over to the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. We read, speaking of Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, Jesus were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. What we learn then is that Jesus is not only God, but he is creator God. And so we said as a result of the fact that he's both God and creator, we can look to the Old Testament and we can learn something about him, something so important, something so necessary, and essential for us to understand. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 113, verse 6. It's so important, I think we'll turn there. Psalm 113, verse 6. The book of Psalms is kind of toward the middle of your Bible. If you don't know where it is, you just scroll through there, you'll find it. It's a pretty big book. Psalm chapter 113, verse 6. <clears throat> Notice what he says here. Let's go back just a little bit. Look at verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is likened to the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? Did you see that? Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. Notice the explanation point at the end of earth there. Man, he, he's driving home this truth. Man, the psalmist is saying, man, listen, this is so important. It's so essential. He humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. What he's saying is, is that this Jesus that is God and creator, he literally has to bow down in order to see heaven itself, in order to see humanity especially. He literally has to humble himself in order to even look upon us. He's so high and he's so lifted up. He's so wonderful and he's so glorious that he has to humble himself to even look upon heaven. You say, but he dwells in heaven. The point is, is that the psalmist is trying to help us understand how high and how holy he is, how different and how unusual he is. He is not like you and he's not like me. He is so different. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says that his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Man, he's so far beyond us. He's so far beyond us that we can't even wrap our mind around it. What an amazing God and creator we have. So much so that the psalmist again writes, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would you even think about us? Have anything to do with us? Let alone forgive and save us if we'll call upon your son Jesus. So last week we spoke about Christ the Creator. This week we want to talk about Christ the Sustainer. The Sustainer. Take your Bible, look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21. I know I'm going to give you a tough one now. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21. I'll give it tough to you, but see, for me, I've already typed it out. I don't even have to turn there. Now, I'm not going to get messed up on that one. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21.
We're going to read this one verse, and it's going to kind of kick off our subject matter. Again, we're dealing with preaching Christ. Well, who's Christ? He's, the, he's God and creator, but he's also the sustainer. We'll talk a little more, as we say, uh, throughout the message concerning this. But notice it says in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 21, this word sustain is used four times in the Bible. Just four times. And then it's used another variant of the word sustained, sustained with an E-D at the end. It's used three more times. So we're looking at one of those times where he's talking about being sustained. Okay, notice what he says here in the passage. He makes the statement. He says, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. And we can't get through a day or two without feet swelling. And they went 40 years. It's amazing. That's a miracle already, isn't it? But notice, yea, 40 years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. See, Judah had been taken captive by the Babylonians in 606 B.C., 606 years before Christ is what we're talking about. Now they have returned to their homeland after spending 70 years in captivity. Undoubtedly, they were facing a number of obstacles, a number of difficult situations and circumstances. First, they were fearful that an enemy faction would overtake them. I'm sure they knew that it was going to happen. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it clear that that was a problem. Also, we know that they probably were very concerned about starving to death. In those days, there was no a, a social system in place to help them. They were literally on their own, and they had to sustain themselves. And in their case, the Bible says, we'll see in a moment that God would do that. But he's pointing now to this time. This is the situation that we find. The, the, and it was actually the, it wasn't Nehemiah speaking here. Who was actually doing the talking in chapter 9, verse 21 are the Levites, the preachers of that day. And interestingly enough, they're really not even preaching to the people. They're praying. There's a prayer being sent up to God. And they are speaking to God, and they are saying, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lack nothing, their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. That word sustain means to bear, to uphold, to support. To support in any condition by aid, or to assist or relieve. If you take the time to read through the four times that we see the word sustain and the three times we see sustained, you'll find that the majority of them address and deal with this idea. The, the, they, they, I guess the word sustain is primarily in relationship to providing or supplying a need. That's how it's being used. It's used primarily in relationship to supplying or providing for a need. And so the Levites and the preachers of that day, they're reminding God about how he supernaturally provided for the people while they wandered in the wilderness. Here they are now. They've gone back now to Jerusalem. After being 70 years in captivity, the people are concerned about an enemy faction. They're concerned about sustaining life itself. And he, they, they, these leaders, turn to God and point to him and begin to pray. And they begin to remind him of all the wonderful things he did in the past on behalf of them and their nation. And they come to this place here in chapter 9, verse 21, where they say, For 40 years 
For 40 years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. Because here's what the bottom line is. They're trying to tell God, you did it before. Now do it again. That's what they're saying. Look at Exodus chapter 17 because this is what they're pointing to. They're pointing back to Exodus chapter 17. Look at Exodus chapter 17 verse 3. We know that the people of God had exited Egypt. If you've been in Sunday school, you've been hearing a lot about that. And so now they're out here, and, and we know that they're uh, ultimately in the wilderness. And they're, they're, they're going from point A to B, and then from B to C. And God is directing them and guiding them and leading them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And he's meeting a need in their life. Look what happens in Exodus chapter 17 early on as they depart from Egypt. Chapter 17, verse 3. The Bible says, And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. He said, they're, they're, wanting to, they're thinking about killing me because I helped, I just obeyed you, Lord, and I just delivered them as a result of your supernatural power out of Egypt so that they could freely worship you. And now they're threatening to kill me. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 5, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river... Remember that rod? One might say, I remember that rod back in Egypt. Oh, you do? So do I. Guess what happened? He smote the water and it turned to what? Blood. But now he's referring back to a time when they crossed the Red Sea. And Moses took that, that rod, boy, and he stretched it out. He's talking about how he... he the rod had all that power and how God used Moses and how he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And he says, look at this. You go now. You take that same rod, that same rod you stretched out over that Red Sea, that same rod that you smote that water with in Egypt. You take that same rod, Moses. And you take it in your hand and you go and behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb and thou shalt smite the rock. You strike that rock. You strike it with that rod. And there shall come water out of it. That my people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Moses took that rod and he smote that rock. And man, water began to pour out of it. And it just gushed out. It gushed out everywhere. God provided for the people in the wilderness. God provided for them. And it impacted their nation so dramatically that it was spoken about again by the psalmist. Look, if you will, in Psalm chapter 78, when rehearsing the great deeds of God and when telling the people about how God manifests himself mightily on behalf of their nation, the psalmist says, here's what happened that day. Look at Psalm 78, verse 15 through 20. 
tell you what, let's just look at 15 and 16 today because of time. But notice what it says here, 78, verse 15 and 16. Notice, he clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as of out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. Man, when Moses struck that rock, it poured down like a river. Man, the people are like, whoa, hold on to your kids. They're going to get taken downstream. So great was the supply of God in the wilderness on behalf of the people. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans that what was recorded concerning the past is always written with a purpose. It's written for our learning. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 4, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, makes this statement, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we may through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Paul's saying, listen, what God wrote long before and what he had allowed them to endure and he, he recorded in history through the Word of God that is, by the way, recorded in heaven and will be here forever and ever and ever. He says he wrote those things, and he wrote them for admonition, yes. He wrote them for our remembrance, yes. He wrote them so that we could grow and be encouraged and have hope. You say, how does them, how how does their situation encourage us? How does it give us hope today? How is it that a rock that sprang forth with water provide us with hope today? I'm glad you asked. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice verse 1. We're going to read through verse 4. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Again, the Apostle Paul is the instrument by which God is using to speak to the Corinthians. May I remind you again, just very quickly, that when we talk about inspiration of the Scriptures, we're talking about how God inspired men to write the Scriptures. What He literally did was He used them as instruments. Just like I take this pen and I write my name, it wasn't the pen that wrote it, it was me. The instrument only left the mark. Can I tell you the men were not the ones writing the scriptures? They were only merely the instruments God used to pen his word. And so here we have now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. Now, I want you to be clear now. Moses was a Uh, Excuse me, uh, Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Now, before he became a Christian, he was a Jew. He's still Jewish in his background, but he is a Christian now because there are only three types of people in the world. There is the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of the living God. You are either a Jew or you are a Gentile or you are part of the church of Christ. Born-again believer in the Lord Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us in Thessalonians. So the Apostle Paul now has been saved. He was a Jew, but now he is a Christian. He is in the body of Christ. He is part of the church. 
And he's now writing from the perspective of his past and he points and, and speaks out to the Jewish listeners as well as even the Gentile ones that are listening. And he says, moreover, brethren, I'm talking now to some of my Jewish friends. I'm talking now to some of my Jewish brethren. I want you to understand because you can relate back to that Old Testament. You know what I'm going to say is true. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea, and were all baptized into, unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. He's talking about this people, Israel now, going through the wilderness now. And did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual, notice the word, rock. We've been introduced to the rock already that followed them. Hold on, wait a second. I thought it was the rock they struck, and yet it's a rock that follows them as well? Yeah, because see, that rock represents so much more. Oh, that rock represents something that they in the Old Testament could not wrap their minds around, but now, in hindsight, we can look back based on the Word of God, and we can be encouraged and find hope. Look what he says here. He defines the rock for us. He says simply, and this is exciting, isn't it? He defines the rock for us. And he says, and that rock, that rock was Christ. Amen. That rock was Christ. You say, this is crazy. I know, isn't it? It's the Bible. It's a supernatural book. It's an amazing book. And it ties everything together. That whole Old Testament is tied to the New Testament. And we see that certain words make a difference. And that's why it's important that our Bibles remain consistent. Because there are words if change, We'll lose the connection. And in this particular case, we recognize that the rock is Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth that is. You say, what do we learn from that then? We learn then from the scriptures that Jesus is the rock by which all blessing flows then. You say, what? Oh, remember Moses? He struck that rock. He smote that rock. And what came forth? Water. Water that brought life to a people who would have died without it. Water to meet their every need. And can I tell you, tell you that rock that he smote was Jesus Christ. And one day, 2,000 years ago, the Romans thought they were going to smite him. One day, 2,000 years ago, the Jews said, crucify him, crucify him. And there Jesus hung on Calvary. He hung on Calvary, and he died for your sin and mine. He was smitten on behalf of you and me. He died and took your place. You say, why? Because without that precious, perfect blood, without his supply, you're going to perish and spend an eternity in a lake of fire, and so will I. Because the Bible says there's none that doeth good, no, not one. The Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells me, that neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It wasn't enough that he died that day. The blood must be applied to your life and to mine. But if it wasn't for that precious blood, if it wasn't for Christ being smitten, we would never, ever have the supply we need to be saved. So in Nehemiah 9.21, he says, yea, 40 years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. They lacked 
nothing. Their clothes waxed not old and their feet swelled not. These leaders are praying to God and they're pointing out that Jesus provided, that God provided for his people in a miraculous way back in the wilderness and that now we find ourselves in the same spot they did, God. We're in the same mess they were in. We're out here all alone. We have no one else to turn to and nothing else to turn to. Oh God, you've got to do it again. You've got to supply our need because if you don't, we'll perish. And that's what they're crying out to God and that's what they're telling Him. You did it then, now do it again. They lack nothing, now do the same for us. Can I tell you based on 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 4? That means He'll supply your need too. Amen. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Man, if he was back there in that Old Testament represented in that rock that Moses struck and he brought forth all that, that water and he supplied their need and they had need of nothing. Can I tell you that that same need, that he had need of nothing back there when they got set out of Babylon and they went back to reestablish Jerusalem, he was right there again to provide for their every need. And can I tell you, thousands of years later now, here we are. And he says... Jesus is still the one. Jesus is still the one. God's saying, uh, the Lord Jesus saying, I'm the sustainer. I'm the one that you need to turn to. I'm the one that will supply your every need. I'm the one that will do what you need done in your life. But you're going to have to turn to me. And I've done it in the past. I'll do it again. The rock, Jesus Christ, will satisfy your thirst. He alone can meet the need that ravages your soul today. So let's get to the message. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We won't be long. Maybe. We'll see. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We won't be too awfully long. Put it that way. Philippians 4, verse 19. Notice what the Bible says in the New Testament now, addressing and dealing with our needs being met. It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need. Did you ever see that phrase before? Isn't that interesting how now we're connecting the old again with the new? We're connecting Christ in the Old Testament, how he functioned and worked there, to now how he works and functions today. Notice again, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. According to his riches by Christ Jesus. Notice that. Now, Harry Ironside was one of the greatest Bible teachers in the last 100 years. For 50 years, he went up and down America teaching and preaching the Word of God. Ironside pastored Moody Church from 1930 to 1948. Now, that wasn't the end of his ministry because he preached for 50 years, but he was the pastor there at Moody for 18 years. One night... He was honored to have D.L. Moody's Bible in his possession. I mean, literally, D.L. Moody's Bible. Maybe maybe you've not heard a lot about preachers in the past, but you might have heard about D.L. Moody. If you haven't, he rocked two continents. He was a preacher that, that just literally, where he went, people were convicted of sin, and God just used him in a mighty way. He, he, 
he is basically somewhat of a standard by which we look at and we say, wow, if God could use a man like Moody and he could do what he did with Moody, what could he do today with me and with you? So he had Moody's Bible in his, in his possession one night. And Harry Ironside, he looked at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And he noted that D.L. Moody wrote something right there in the margin of his Bible, opposite Philippians 4.19. Here's what he found. He found something called the Christian's banknote. And Modi had read the Christian's banknote. He put in there, president of the bank, my God. The promise to pay shall supply. The amount, all you need. The capital of the bank, according to his riches and glory. The cashier's name, Moody wrote, Christ Jesus. And the amount, excuse me, and the, the, the cashier's name was Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting because Moody would ultimately say, he would say, we leave that one blank, the amount, in order that each one might write the measure of his need, her need. We're not going to fill that one in. Now, we know that what the Bible says, all your need, but we're going to leave that one blank. And so today, I have the Christian's banknote here. I have the Christian's banknote. I know it's hard to see. I wanted it to be about four times bigger. But I want you to notice, the president of the bank is my God. The promise to pay shall supply. I put pay to the order of the Christian. That's someone that's put their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The amount, the Bible says all you need, but let, Moody left it blank because he knew that our needs are not all the same, and yet God has enough to supply every need. The cashier's name is Jesus Christ, and the capital of the bank, or the assets of the bank, are according to his riches and glory. See, the Christian is to ask big. We have Jesus Christ and he is our, he supplies our every need. But sometimes in our lives, if we're not careful, we forget that we have a blank check that God has given us to fill, to fill and says, what's your need? You ask me and I'm there to meet that need. Again, I'm not talking about living in sin. I'm not talking about doing things your way. But for the believer whose desire is to please the master, he says, I promise you that there's not a need you have that I can't meet. This cashier's check is left blank because I want you to ask whatever you want. And I've got the means by which to supply it. The Bible says over in the book of Psalm, chapter 81, verse 10, it says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Open thy mouth wide.
it and I will fill it. What he's saying is, you just keep asking and I'll keep meeting the needs. Can I tell you today that Jesus Christ, he is so sufficient, he's so capable, he's so able of meeting our needs that we simply need to ask and he's glad to do it. He's anxious to do it. You say, but my marriage is falling apart. Can I tell you, there's a blank check. If you're a believer today in Christ, there's a Christian banknote, and you need to simply cry out to God and say, oh God, my marriage is falling apart. I need you to meet that need. And God will be there. You say, but my, my family, it's a mess. My home, it's a wreck. I'm telling you that you have a blank check. It's the Christian banknote. And God says that it's available to you if you'll simply apply it. It's there for you. Use it. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the sustainer. He's the, me, uh, the need meter. He's the one and the only one that can do that in your life. We turn to the government. We turn to the, the uh, professional, uh, to, to, to uh, uh, colleges and institutions. We turn to so many other places to provide for our needs, to meet our needs. My friend, let me tell you something. Those things will all go by the wayside, but Jesus Christ will be there long after they are gone. I don't care how lonely you are. I don't care if you're on an island somewhere in the middle of the, of, of, of the world. I don't care what's going on. Jesus is there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is and will be. The supplier, the sustainer. What's your problem? Is it physical? You don't understand. I, I got a, is 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 a on on. What's the name of the show? Is John Wayne movie? McClintock. That one fellow turns to John Wayne and he says, "The doc gave me the long face. The doc gave me the long face. What was he saying?" He gave me some real bad news. You ever gotten bad news from the doc? You ever got the long face? And you walk out of there and there's a pit in your stomach and you feel like just the weight of the world's on your soul and you feel like just there's a dark cloud now that's over your head and you don't know where to turn or what to do. And it seems like the more you talk about it, the less it makes sense. And, and, and the people that you tell about, it's not enough because you still got to go to sleep that night. And while they're over there sleeping, you're over here just thinking about what's going to happen or possibly happen to you. And you need the sustainer. You need him to come alongside and say, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee, and I'm there for you, and I can meet your need, whether it's in life or whether it's in death. I'm there for you! When's the last time you filled it out and handed it back to God? He's the sustainer. Even as he sustained those that came back, from Babylonian captivity, even as he was there with them in the wilderness after being released from slavery for 430 years in Egypt, he'll be with you today, friend. He's the sustainer. He's the sustainer. What's your great, what's your great need this morning? Is your greatest need physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual today? Which is it? Again, is it your marriage? Is it your family? Is it your job? Do you lack love, joy, peace, or purpose in your life?
I wonder, is your greatest need your soul today? Have you been born again? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. He says, we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. No faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. No childhood with God. We're not the child of God. There are only two groups of people. We know there's three types of people, but there's only two groups. You're either in the family of God or you are out of the family of God. You're either on God's team or you're on Satan's team. We are born into sin, therefore we are not God's. We are his creation, but we are not his children until we put our faith and trust in Jesus. You say, show me that. I just quoted you two scriptures that say it alone. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on him? I mean, specifically recognized and understood that you're the sinner that he came for and died for on Calvary. What a waste that God would have made the sacrifice of Jesus if you could have gotten there any other way but through him. Who are you, God, to give your son to die on a cross? Why would God send him and then say, you don't need him. You can do it yourself if you just live right. If your good outweighs the bad, you'll be safe. No, Jesus is the sustainer. He's the supplier. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That water that will wash your sin away is only made possible through the rock, Jesus Christ. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you said, Lord, I'm that sinner you died for. I need you to forgive me and save me today. I won't, I'll perish without you. I need you. Because I promise you, if you'll write the check, he'll cash it. He'll cash it. Child of God, come on now. What's going on in your life? What's your great need? Come on, write the check today. Write the check. He'll cash it. He'll cash it. Because he is the sustainer. He's the supplier. How many times have we left the money in the bank when we could have used it to meet the need? Are you leaving it in the bank? In heaven one day it won't matter. You'll never have a need, so you might as well not save it. Use it while you can. You don't retire from the Christian life. You refire. So don't worry about it. Just get out there and use it up. Go to God. It's an unlimited amount, by the way. Can you imagine if I told you today that you can have anything you want in the world, you can have all the money you want, you just have to ask me and I'll give it to you? I guarantee you my phone would be ringing off the hook. Right? But you, I'd never answer because I'd be too worried about my needs. But you know what? He's listening all the time. And you know what? He actually has everything you need. Jesus Christ, he is the sustainer. He's the supplier. There is no excuse for us then to walk away today without our hearts being fuller, our marriages being stronger, our homes being better, our lives being blessed, and our souls being saved.
No reason at all to walk away any other way but complete. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you've done for us. We're so grateful, Father, for just simplicity of your word, Lord. There's no doubt that, Father, uh, there are things in the Bible that can seem complicated, but the truth is, Lord, these are very simple truths, and we're so glad that you, our Lord, is, you are the sustainer. We're so glad that we have this Christian bank note. We're so glad that the, the supply never runs out in heaven, that it's always available to us. Obviously, Lord, we, we're not gonna, you're not going to answer a prayer so we can use it for evil, but Lord, there's no doubt that there are needs here today and there are people here today that want to please you, that want to do their best to honor you. And I pray, Lord, that we would use the, 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 the tools and, and, and use the supply that's already there for us. Father, help us, we pray. Now, Lord, today there may be someone in our midst. It's just a reality of life that anywhere you go, there's so many people, but the Bible says that there is a narrow way and there's a broad way. And the truth is, Lord, is that it's possible there's somebody here that has yet to get on the narrow way. They haven't made a conscious decision to accept and receive Christ. The Bible says, For God so loved the word that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, they have to make a choice to believe. They can't just be born into a family that believes. They have to personally make that decision. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, you said. So we have to believe in you. We have to personally do that. It's our responsibility. Lord, help people that are here today to recognize that. May your Holy Spirit go forth today and just pinpoint needs, whether it be their soul needing saved or whether it be a need in their family or their life or their body. And then, Lord, may they be willing to come and write that check and say, I need this. If it's salvation, Lord, you'll give it to them. You said you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if it's another need, you said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Lord, you'll do it. Father, bless us now, we pray in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.